Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 36, brought to you by Lifetree at PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. My name is Rick. I'm right now at this moment sitting on the veranda of a little guest house in Nairobi, Kenya. I've uh, been part of a eight-person team that's here for about 11 days, leading a ministry conference for church workers in Nairobi, um, helping renovate and update an orphanage in a slum area of Nairobi and about to go into the bush, so to speak. We're going on a two-day little safari at the end of our ministry trip here, so I'm about to climb into a a little plane that's going to land on a gravel airstrip somewhere, and I'll be uh, sleeping in a tent by tonight. So... I'll tell you more about that when I return. But meanwhile, as I've been here in Nairobi, I've met some fascinating people along the way. And since this whole month of episodes is focusing on discipleship, I took advantage of an opportunity to interview an extraordinary person that I never would have been able to interview otherwise. Um, His name is Samuel Kamau, and he is the executive director of Transparency International. He's essentially, his role is to uh, head a a sort of a government watchdog organization um, looking for corrupt officials and then uh, uncovering enough factual information about them to get them prosecuted. The last person that was in this position before Samuel was essentially run out of the country and is still living in exile. Uh, Because, as you might imagine, in a uh, country that is known for uh, corruption amongst its political and business leaders, when you start prosecuting those people, you get a target on your back. So I thought it would be fascinating uh, today to talk a little bit to Samuel about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and, at the same time, try to change the culture of a whole country by putting your life on the line every day. So, today we'll uh, listen to my interview with Samuel. I'm hoping that you'll be able to hear 99% of what he has to say. He does have a thick Kenyan accent, so you might have to turn up the volume a little bit and pay better attention to everything that he's saying. But this conversation that you're about to hear is fascinating. And I have to say, I'm drawn to courage. And when I first met Samuel and started asking him questions, uh, I couldn't believe how how he was answering my questions and what his everyday life is like. And I wanted to explore further what drives him and how his relationship with Jesus is threaded into his passion and commitment to bring justice to Kenya. So this is a man that uh, is is right now... um, 
helping to change Kenyan society at great cost. So I thought it would be fascinating to talk to him about his, his own relationship with Jesus and how that fuels his passion. So let's listen now to my interview with Samuel Kamau. Well, this is Rick. I'm in Kenya for about 12 days, and along the way I've met some fascinating people, and uh, chief among them is Samuel Kameo, who is the cousin of our host here in Kenya, Daniel Kameo. And I met, I'd heard about Samuel ahead of time. Uh, Daniel was trying to explain to me what Samuel does. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and so when I met him, I wanted to talk to him, and I realized I actually wanted to record an interview with him. So Samuel is the executive director of Transparency International in Kenya, which is essentially a corruption watchdog um, in Kenya. And Kenya is a country that has been notorious for its corruption for a long time. And so the, the position that Samuel has taken is a very dangerous one. So I thought it would be interesting to talk to a follower of Jesus who has volunteered to take on a, a dangerous job to help rid his culture of corruption and what led up to that decision and what living a life like that is like as a disciple of Jesus. So Samuel, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Maybe you could start by simply explaining a little bit of your background, what led up to you accepting this position. Thank you very much, Rick. Um, I think a good place to start is to say that when I went to high school, my intention was to go into medicine. Um, I mean, the health sector was, had the greatest need that was feasible here. And I thought that um, with a good education, medicine would be the, the place to go. But on the last minute, I decided to change. Uh, for reasons that I, 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 I may not fully appreciate. But I decided to change when I was reporting to the university and I took up law. Um, but prior to me reporting to the university, I know that my dad has a, had a piece of land that uh, a school was interested in. And that piece of land was being taken away from him in, uh, in, in the most unjust way. And I was extremely unhappy with it. And uh, unfortunately, I did not feel that it, uh, my dad gave me the support that I needed that time to try and pursue this piece of land. I think the long and short of it is that that land, piece of land was eventually taken away by the school. Uh, but the good news is that we, there was compensation for it, even though not that I consider adequate, but um, there was compensation for it. And I think from that early stage, the issues of justice and fairness uh, begin to weigh a lot heavily on me. And I, I think I decided, let me take up law. And in taking up law, I decided to pursue um, uh, interest in constitutional law, but particularly uh, issues of human rights and governance. Um, uh, and from there, proceeded on to do work around uh, uh, access to justice. 
Um, my first job was with the International Commission of Jurists, the Kenyan section, and uh, we were essentially, uh, you know, looking at views from the public around, uh, uh, you know, the issues of corruption and access to justice from the judiciary. That eventually actually catalyzed a major, a major reform within the judiciary. But fast forward, um, I came into my current position from the Embassy of Finland, where I was serving as a governance advisor. Um, the nature of uh, diplomatic uh, circles, uh, it's, it's a very subdued way of doing things. You are extremely reserved. You have to, it's very hard to challenge status quo when you are there. I felt I was young and energetic and needed to do something for my country and therefore I was looking for something more challenging to do but also pretty much in line with my interests of, uh, of, of justice and, and good governance. Um, and therefore when I was requested if I could consider this position at uh, Transparency International Kenya, um, I had to I thought it was a good opportunity, but it's the kind of opportunity that comes with its own risks. And therefore, I had to go back to my wife and actually my parents, my own dad, and ask them what they thought about this. And we prayed about it. And um, I think eventually I decided I was going to, to take it up. Let me stop you for a moment. Yeah. When I first met you, yes. um, the way that Tim, who's our team leader here in Kenya, explained to me the job that you had. He first said the person that was in your role previously had to flee the country because he had been targeted. So when I first met you, I said, Samuel, why did you voluntarily take on such a dangerous job? And you, your answer, I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, so could uh, I'll ask you again, why did you voluntarily take on such a dangerous job? Well, because I, I, I felt that our country has a lot going for it and that corruption was shackling it back and um, it was impacting on the lives of millions of people. A few people skimming off uh, public resources, not actually skimming off. I think we are now at a level where it's looting. It's literally looting, where public office has been taken up to be an opportunity to enrich oneself and, and others at complete uh, expense of the masses. And I felt that uh, this country has a huge potential and, and, and needed better governance to realize its, its potential. And it needed uh, major sacrifices to be made. Um, um, from a spiritual perspective, I, I consider it uh, uh, as an act of stewardship that God has entrusted this beautiful country. Uh, and I don't think you've seen even a quarter of it. No. Uh, you need to come back and, and, and go beyond Nairobi and, 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 and Masai Mara and up the north and see what a beautiful country we have. Yes. And you also see the resources that it has and the kind of people that it hosts. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the Kenyans are a, a special lot of people. But I think the, we could be miles ahead in terms of human development, in terms of taking care of the poor and the suffering in society, and there's a big big number of those. Just in Nairobi alone, you will see the biggest population of Nairobi is in the slums. You know, people who have to have no shelter that they can, uh, you can call decent, have no access to water and sanitation, and when they have those, that access, it comes at a premium price. They pay more cumulatively than, than the rich people 
people pay. So there is a lot that can be said about the fairness and the justice of the system that we, we, we run. So when I first asked you that question two days ago, um, that was a that was a much more detailed answer, which I appreciate. Yeah. When it, you, when I first asked this to you two days ago, yeah. you just looked at me and said, "Kenya deserves to be free of corruption," <laughs> and I, I just found that such a bold statement. Yeah. Indeed, it, it, it is true. We, uh, we deserve to be free from corruption because corruption is what holds us back. So tell me a little bit about how this mission, this calling that you have. I think I said to you that that day I was talking to you as you described what you were doing yeah. is what outside people, I think, looking in on your job would say is, oh, he's he's a... Uh, a, a kind of a minister of justice in the sense that you're you're watching for corruption yes. in the especially among government officials mm. and you are vigorously pros- prosecuting them mm. so that you can change the culture of corruption that yes. is here so yes. you, you could look at what you do mm. one way but when I was listening to you describe some of what you do mm. um, I told you it feels like this is a ministry. Yes. So how does your relationship and your um, and your ob- obedience yes. to Jesus mm. thread its way into your calling in your role? Yeah. Well, I, I think the bottom line is that our God is a God of justice, and I think the Bible is uh, is full of uh, you know uh, verses where. Uh, you know, uh, God is ordaining justice, and uh, you know He prescribes what justice looks like. You know, uh, He castigates uh, judges who take bribes to to look the other way. He He frowns upon the oppression of the poor, the widows, and the and the fatherless, the orphans. Um, and you can go on and on. And I think the, in truth, uh, uh, from a spiritual perspective, uh, it's not just a, a ministry of justice, but I am also an officer of, of the courts myself in this country as, as a lawyer and an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. So it is true that um, I see it as a, as a ministry of justice. Uh, I see it as a calling to basically call out on what needs to be done insofar as fighting corruption is concerned. I do not, um, because we are not a government agency, we don't prosecute people, but we do receive complaints from, from the public that we sometimes prepare and are able to push them on to uh, law enforcement agencies and people are prosecuted uh, for it. Of course, up to about, uh, up to this year, it was it has been a fairly difficult job to get high profile you know, prosecutions and convictions. That has changed in the last two, three months. We've seen a lot of people being um, held into court. Um, We still are saying that it's not enough, that what we need to see for sure is that people are punished um, and the resources that they have stolen are retrieved back into the public coffers. not just because they deserve to be punished, but so that our young people can also begin to internalize the fact that uh, uh, crime doesn't pay and that, um, you know, uh, it's, it's bad stewardship of what God has given us for a few people to take away what belongs to many for their own personal benefit. 
So maybe you could tell me a little bit of, maybe you can think about some of the, the toughest challenges you've had in this job, yeah. specifically to um, perhaps people that you have been pursuing to try to bring to light what they're doing. Yeah. But what have been some of the real challenges that you've faced in this job? And tell me how long actually you've been doing it as well. Yeah. Well, I've been on this job uh, since 2010. So it's about eight years now. The challenges are, are different. We have uh, security challenges. Of course, my own safety uh, becomes an issue uh, every so often. Um, I've received uh, personal threats. Um, I think the, the latest and most credible one was when one of the governors uh, told me um, a couple of months ago that I needed to stop pursuing what I was doing uh, because they could get me disappeared from the streets of Nairobi, never to be seen again. Well, I think this governor was very honest because he is one of the, I mean, he, he distinguishes himself as someone who, who is not afraid of engaging in criminality and also, you know, doing the things that he was threatening to do to me. So I was fully aware that these are not, it was not just mere talk. Uh, to him. But of course I, I, I took confident in the fact that um, one, I think the, the ultimate security comes from God himself. And I think however much we try to think about our own security, it's really futile. When I've had to go to Somalia previously, my own uh, uh, boss uh, once told me that uh, if I am happy with going into Mogadishu, I should just, and if my family is happy with me going to Mogadishu, I should feel free to go. Because harm can come to you anywhere. In the house you trip and fall. <laughs> you know, death can find you anywhere. But I think the, for me the most important thing is to realize that whether it comes or not, or when it comes, because it eventually will come, that um, uh, it will be in circumstances that are in keeping with uh, Christ's purpose for me. So I, it wouldn't bother me much. But that's not to say that then I have to be reckless. I try and um, I, have, I, 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 I reflect a lot on issues of security. Uh, right from the days at the embassy um, up to now, I have to think about security because I think, I think um, no one wants to be a martyr. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I have this uh, saying that I've coined for myself that I keep on telling to other people who work with us, that, um, you know, a soldier is only useful when they are alive. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be alive <laughs> to be able to make a difference. Yes. If, if, if you become a martyr in the process, uh, we will remember that. But remember that it is more useful to have a, a soldier who is alive in the battlefield than one who is dead because they, they, they were either reckless or did not take care of, of the basics. So... Um, in Christian culture, um, often there's a ideal that is prescribed for Christian men. Yes. And I would say that ideal is something like be a very nice person. Yeah. Be the nicest guy you can be. That's what a Christian man is. Yeah. But in your job, you have to be tough. Yes. And you're around very, very tough people. Yes. So how do you see your own toughness, yeah. your own character, and dealing with very tough people yes. as, ref as reflected in 
Jesus mm -hmm. and in your relationship with Jesus? How do you equate those two? Because yeah. sometimes people who, who are mm -hmm. in very tough jobs and have to deal with tough people yes. compartmentalize their life. Yes. They say, oh, now I'm a Christian yes. when I'm at church, but mm -hmm. in that, mm -hmm. I can't really do those things that yeah. I do there. So how do you mm -hmm. join together mm -hmm. your, these, these, two, these two worlds? Yes. I think for me, I'm a, I have a clear sense of what needs to be done. And, uh, and happily for me, we have the scripture and we have the laws of the country. Um, and, and they are quite clear about the things that I work on. You know, if it is a question of public resources, I mean, the public resources are there for the benefit of everybody in the society. If it is a budget for health, it's supposed to take care of the health welfare of, 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 of the entire republic or an entire, you know, area, uh, if it is a county for that matter. So when that money is then, uh, you know, used for people to buy, to build big houses and take their children to expensive schools in Europe, it, 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 it's very clear to me that that is uh, morally wrong from a spiritual perspective, but it is also uh, criminal in, in our laws. Um, I cannot say that I am one of the toughest people, uh, but I think I, I speak uh, um, perhaps uh, not so uh, robustly, but I, I, I am quite firm in, in, in my views and quite fair also because I know that um, some things are not, are not quite black and white. Sometimes people are charged in court, and I, and I feel that some, uh, it's probably a political motivation to it. There's a... There's a there's a subset of the story that we don't know, but I have to insist that uh, if the law has been offended, then we need people to to be prosecuted. And I think once we get to a level where prosecution issues, as a matter of course, for for criminal offences um, of an economic crimes nature, then it becomes easy to build the social fabric. Uh, the ethical fiber of the society as it is, so that young people begin to think, stop thinking that um, you know you have to cut corners to make it in life. You know that you have to know someone in an office for you to get a job. You know that you have to <clears throat> know the doctor for you to get uh, uh, treated. And that um, you have to know the principal of a school uh, that uh, you have been rightfully admitted to. Uh, for you to secure that chance. And I think the list can, can go on and on. And these things are, uh, I mean, fortunately for us and for me, are not things that we didn't know because when I grew up in, in Sunday school and, and, um, and, 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 and at home, these are things that were very much ingrained in us. Uh, but I think over the years, the, the political culture has undermined our social uh, you know, values to a level where people are a bit con are quite confused. Young people are quite confused about what is right and wrong when it comes to the way they behave in relation to public resources. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I wrote a whole book mm. on the parable of the shrewd manager that yes. Jesus told. Yes. And I started out the book by saying it's the one parable you'll never never hear in church yes because it doesn't seem like a very churchy sort of story jesus told it's a story of yeah. he, he tells this story of yeah. um a uh, a rotten corrupt yes. servant yes. who is cheating his master yeah and his 
master finds out and is going to not only let him go but punish him and the the lying corrupt servant goes out and cuts the the debts of his master before he gets fired with some of his creditors so that he will have some safety net after he gets fired the master then finds out about that and you think okay here the hammer's going to come down now instead the master praises the servant for how shrewd he is jesus tells this story and you it's hard to imagine how this story would have come off to people first hearing it because you think it's going to go a certain way and then all of a sudden he's praising the corrupt servant for being quite shrewd and and what jesus is doing is elevating shrewdness as an aspect of being a disciple and so i wrote a whole book about this because i wanted to explore it for myself how do I grow more shrewd in an innocent way, in a yeah. godly way? Yeah. So how does shrewdness mm. play a role mm. in what you do? Well, I think um, uh, the, the fight against corruption in this country is a major undertaking. Um, and I have no illusion that it will depend on a lot of people playing their part, and it will be the unlikely, you know, the unlikely, uh, uh, people standing up and saying, you know, um, enough is enough, or providing the evidence that is required uh, to, to to take on the high and mighty uh, in in our society, and um, I think it calls for it calls for wisdom and um, and, and and also how would I say you look at the the greatest benefit for the society. And sometimes you have to overlook the transgressions of, of, of some people so that you get at the bigger players and change change what um, what um, uh, change the course of history as it were because if you have more people being punished then of course the culture changes I mean I think in America you you call it uh, the rule of law and I, I tend to say from a legal perspective that what makes America great is is the sense of the rule of law it's much more ingrained uh, than in, in our part of the world um, and considering that the law is basically the one that determines how people relate to each other I think when that law is is properly enforced, it 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 it, it creates a society where um, you know we can all make our own contributions in a more positive way than um, than when the law is not is not enforced. Mm-hmm. You know, when you I think you were here when buildings were coming down um, uh, in Nairobi, and if you think about it, uh, those buildings have been there some of them for over 20 years. Uh, put up by people who corrupted their way through the licensing system and uh, and, and and the bylaws of the of, of the city, and um, I mean nobody thought that these buildings will ever come down, but they are coming down, and the people who are ordering them to come down are very unlikely people uh, to do that. Uh, some of them have have their hands tainted, actually. And uh, I remember one of the the, the pub, ranking public officials in this city said that, you know, these buildings will come down, including my own that is built on grabbed, uh, that is built on a public access land, is going to come down, you see. Mm. You see, so it's it can be a bit confusing, um, but I think the ultimate thing is that we need to make progress in a certain direction. 
So when you say these buildings are coming down, do you mean that they were illegally constructed and now they're being destroyed because um, the land the land was illegally obtained? Indeed, yes. Um, it's mainly land that is along rivers, uh, the riparian uh, land. And uh, in our laws, that land is not available for development. Uh, but you will be hardly pressed to find any land, uh, riparian la- land that is not constructed on. Mm. So the estimation is that if the operation continues, about 4,000 properties are going to be wow. brought down. Yeah, Amazing. And so how do you... Mm in the moment, discern what it is you're going to do. You're around people who have their hands tainted, as you just said, and um, you're interested in prosecuting people who have their hands tainted. Mm. How do you make these decisions in the moment about Mm. what you will do, um, how you will move, what decisions you make right now in the moment? Uh, How do do you uh, navigate those? You know, you have to keep on listening carefully, and of course you have a a very good sense of uh, the power permutations in in our society. You know where we want to go. It's frustrating sometimes because you know where you want to go, but you, you actually don't know how to get there. But you know that the people who, you have to rely on people uh, who are not necessarily sharing in your values to take you there. So you have to keep on looking for opportunities uh, that would advance us going forward. I'll give you an example. Recently we had uh, a gentleman who was being appointed as the chair of of an independent commission called the Salaries and Remuneration Commission. He previously was the managing director of the Kenya Power and Lighting Company. And when he left office, he left office under a cloud. He was never prosecuted for anything. Um, but there were complaints all over about you know, power transformers that were substandard and were blowing up um, so consistently that it was very clear to members of the public that those transformers were not good quality transformers. And so he was eventually nominated, I believe it was in early July, uh, to take up this position. And, and um, after he was nominated by the president, before he was authorized by parliament, he was charged in court with uh, economic crimes. Our law provides that if you are a public officer and you are charged with economic crimes, you stand suspended at half pay until you are cleared. But it remains silent about those who are seeking to get in. you can only imply that the same standards should really be applying, which means then that you try to to prevent those who you think have unresolved issues from getting into public office. That is our thinking as an organization, and many Kenyans share that view, but it's not a view that is shared by our politicians who believe that you you protect each other as much as you can uh, from any form of accountability. And so when we, when we sounded this on some members of parliament, there are some who are quite receptive about it and actually mounted a, a, you know, a campaign of trying to convince other members of parliament that it was wrong for this gentleman to be approved. Um, and, and, and more so at a time when the president had ordered the suspension of all procurement officers in government and ordered a lifestyle audit and a revetting of all 
the procurement officers in the country. Wait a minute, a lifestyle audit, meaning let's look at uh, whether they appear to be benefiting from their position? Indeed. It's, it's basically about looking at your known income and looking at your lifestyle and seeing whether they balance. If they don't balance, then the assumption is that you, you are benefiting illicitly from your job or your position. Uh, so I think the, the mem there are some members of parliament then felt that they needed to support that initiative and there was no way they were going to bring someone in who has unresolved issues while the president is trying to kick out people from the inside who might not be able to explain uh, you know, uh, their, their lifestyles. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So eventually I think uh, uh, we managed to, members of parliament actually managed to vote in favor of rejecting him. And uh, so he wasn't taken up, despite the fact that he, he had been nominated by the president uh, and perhaps had a lot of very powerful people supporting him. Yes. I think eventually he was rejected. And we, we were very clear in our mind that uh, he's, not, he's not guilty because he's not been convicted in a court of law. But uh, he has questions that he has to resolve. And yeah. before he can resolve those questions, then he is not fit to hold public office, which we see as a trust. And we, we always, I always explain this to Kenyans, that I see a public office as a trust, and our constitution actually says it's a trust. But not many of us stop to reflect on what that means. And I illustrate it to say that you only trust the very best. You know, if it is your money, you want to give it to someone you can trust. There's a basis for that trust. If it is your employing um, a, a watchman, you will you are entrusting them with huge responsibility, and you, your trust your trust will be based on 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 some facts. So that if someone comes and raises questions, uh, tells you this watchman was sacked in his previous place of employment because uh, there was a burglary that he suspected to have organized, it's very unlikely that many 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 Kenyans will employ such a person. Mm. And I think we keep a very high standard for our households, our gardeners, our, our watchmen, but we, we lower the standard to horribly low levels when it comes to public servants. Hmm. Yeah. Just a couple more questions. Yeah. So as you think back over the last eight years, hmm. what's something that you feel like hmm. um, maybe, I, I want to say, was your proudest achievement, but, hmm. but also something that you felt... Um, hmm sort of um, a fervor or a deep connection yeah. in your relationship with God that yeah. that this thing that happened mm. was an expression was it was a cron concrete expression yeah. of of your own relationship with God yeah well I think there have been a couple of those uh, uh, those moments um, considering that in the work that I do sometimes you you feel quite low you know you you feel like you are on a treadmill expending a lot of energy but uh, the results not quite uh, uh, not, not quite coming through but I think for me the the deepest connection I have seen is basically in the in the shaping of what an ethical society would look like 
and you will see in, in a lot of the writings that I have done and some of which I have seen the, the government picking up and, uh, and basically acting on those recommendations. Some of them done, you know, five years ago <laughs> are gaining relevance today uh, when, when the, the government is, is getting more serious about uh, the issue of fighting corruption. You know, issues of lifestyle audits, I think it's something I have written a, a couple of times about and, um, and kept on saying that for me it's a neglected, it's a neglected uh, way of, uh, I mean it's a neglected tool in the fight against corruption because we see it when people are flounding their wealth out here and we know what, what their, their, their benefits are. Uh, and I think the, 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 for me it's, um, it's just being able to shape that in a way that is a bit more, I mean in a way that um, is in line with, uh, with, with my, my beliefs as well. Mm. Um, and, 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 and I think the, the intuition that God gives me uh, to be able to reflect soberly on issues that not very many people uh, have done, or if they have done, they probably don't have the, the, the platform I, I, I have, uh, for me is, is important. I'll give you the example of South Sudan. Uh, and a couple of years, months ago, I think it was in February, I did write an article in the East African. And I wrote an article about, um, about South Sudan. Um, and my, maybe I need to step back and tell you my first interaction with South Sudan was um, um, through a, 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 a videotape. <laughs> Those mm. ones don't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was a videotape um, I was given by um, a neighbor who was working for a, a relief agency, a Christian relief agency in South Sudan. And it was basically, they had come together with an initiative used to call a cross, which was basically uh, uh, Christian relief agencies working in South Sudan coming together. And they used to operate not far from here in Haligam. And it gave me a lot of, a lot of uh, grounding on, um, on what was happening in South Sudan. We have to say that for those that aren't aware of this, South Sudan is a chaotic, almost lawless place in constant state of war and churn in the government. Indeed, yeah. They, they went through 30 plus years of civil war in which the entire south, you couldn't see any building. There was actually no stone building that was left standing. Everything was bombed, whether it was a church, a mosque, a school, nothing. Uh, everything was, was brought down. Uh, but the human suffering is what used to surprise me. And even up to today, I cannot imagine what it means to lose a generation, for someone to be born into a state of war and to grow up and to get married in a state of war and to get old in a state of war. It, it's, it's beyond my comprehension. But what caught my attention was that we expended a lot of political capital as a country to try and bring peace in, in South Sudan. We were... We led the negotiations, and in my own county, in Machakos, actually, that is where the peace agreement was signed that eventually led to the independence of South Sudan. But South Sudan, in independence, has not enjoyed uh, the kind of tranquility that you would have expected to come from it. So we have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of suffering there. Their own oil money is not benefiting the people. 
there, there is a war that broke up. It's been now a couple of years again, about three years or so since the civil war broke out. And the truce, there have been a few moments of truce. What was very clear in my mind is that as you pursue a solution for South Sudan, you've got to look at the, the role of our political and economic elite. And our, I mean Kenyan and Ugandan political and economic elite and the banking system in facilitating the war in South Sudan because war requires money, uh, money to, to execute. You need money to buy weapons, money to buy food and all that. And I had this reflection in my mind that it was very clear that a bigger part of the solution to the, to the problems in South Sudan would come from Kenya, Uganda, and to some extent Ethiopia. And I wrote an article about that, and I did not know that it will catch the attention of... Uh, you know, very many people, including the, the State Department of Treasury. <coughs> and I know that um, uh, I met the Deputy uh, Secretary <coughs> a couple of months ago when she came visiting and also came to learn that they had sanctioned a good number of uh, the South Sudanese uh, former, former and current military officials uh, um, and, and basically frozen their accounts. And in my article, I had also pointed out that we needed to take action about those who had their families living here in safety while they're executing a war in South Sudan that is killing people. And I also did notice that in a few months ago, uh, a few months ago, that uh, our own foreign secretary, um, you know, uh, froze some some visas for travel, there was basically a travel ban on, on um, a couple of South Sudanese officials. And I also read uh, a few weeks ago that uh, some of our banks had given notice to close bank accounts of a good number of South Sudanese officials. Hmm. So when I look at that, I say, okay, God, I think it's only you who can give this kind of uh, uh, foresight. Because when you do it, when you put your thoughts on paper, you quite don't appreciate how it's going to impact the situation. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So last question for you. Uh, so since you've had this role eight years ago, how would you say uh, being in this role, which is very demanding, sometimes dangerous, yeah. um, uh, how has it impacted your own, the, your growth and your own relationship with Jesus? How has being in this place yeah. caused you to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Well, um, I think for me it has been, um, it has had its moments where you, you know that you've got to, to draw deep into Christ. Uh, when you get into a space where you are basically alone, faced with very uh, daunting challenges, uh, you know, whether it's security or it's, 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 it's a corruption issue you are pursuing. And in the nature of these cases, sometimes uh, you, you, you don't even speak. You can't even, you're not even at liberty to speak about them. So the kind of therapy that comes with speaking about things doesn't quite work because that can, can jeopardize an investigation. And th I'm assuming you're saying you, you can't even speak about these things with your own wife. Well, I speak a lot with my own wife, but that's about the farthest that it goes. And I actually, there, I would say that there will be some things that um, I will not immediately inform her uh, uh, until I feel it's the right time for her to get to know. And, and 
there's nothing as as uh, as bad as having something inside you that um, has a dynamic, but you cannot quite share it openly with uh, with with people. Uh, and at that point in time, um, you have to draw on Christ, you know. And and I also must say that there are moments I have come to, and I have also doubted about, um, uh, you know what I was doing, you know, and I have had to go back and say, Christ, you know, I need your guidance in this. Uh, because I believe that I was, uh, I am in this position for a purpose, uh, for a reason, and I think that reason is to glorify God, and I want to do that until until the end. Um, and sometimes you you get you get disillusioned, but I sit back and I say, well, um, you brought me here, so show me the way, and I will follow it. And my wife is very good at, at 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 reminding me that actually, quite occasionally, when things are tough and she thinks I'm low and she can see I'm low, she's come to learn me. Even when I don't say much, she can see the the Lord I carry, and she just tells me, uh, you know. Uh, God put you there is not going to let you fail yeah well Samuel thank you very much for spending this time with me I really appreciate it and um, I have so much respect for the choices you've made and the work that you're doing here and um, I, I pray that uh, Jesus continues to not only guide and direct you but protect you as well thank you all right I again I hope most of that was understandable for you, but I have to say that that conversation was a life changer for me, uh, and I feel, felt inspired, and the, the meaning of encouragement is to give others courage, and my time with Samuel gave me courage. So, um, as another note about our whole emphasis on discipleship this month, I, I'd really love for you to check out our brand new discipleship kit. It's designed for churches to go through 12 sessions, 12 weekly sessions, and it's the most unusual, most unexpected, most surprising discipleship journey you'll ever participate in. It's, it's, called, uh, it's called Friends of God, a Discipleship Experience. And, and if you uh, check out our podcast page and look for season three episode 36 you'll see a link to this kit and you can get an idea of what's all involved in it it includes video segments a full-scale documentary that was created just for this experience um, each session is highly conversational and interactive um, but the whole filter that we've used for this is uh, paying incredible ridiculous attention to the way Jesus has framed what discipleship really is. And, it, and the tipping point was when Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. Well, what does that mean? Well, this experience follows a friend-making path to discipleship and, and helps us to understand how to grow more intimate with Jesus by living our life with him more like a close friendship. So I encourage you to check this out for your church. Um, if you have a small group, it's perfect for that. Or you might want to check it out and recommend it to somebody um, on your church staff who might be looking for something that either is a discipleship-focused uh, emphasis 
for, for 12 weeks or even something for uh, new members of your church or people that are new to the faith. This resource is flexible. It works really well with either young young Christians or mature Christians. I was part of the four-person team that created this resource, so uh, it's 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 my little baby. <laughs> so please do uh, check it out. Um, again, head over to painridiculousattentiontojesus.com, find the podcast section, and Season 3, Episode 36. And don't forget, if you haven't already, pick up a copy of Spiritual Grit, It's been out for three months now. It's my latest book. It focuses on how to grow a core strength in your relationship with Jesus. We'll have a link to that as well. So if you want to make sure that you don't miss any of these episodes, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play, and it'll remind you um, when the next episode is loaded. So we'll talk again next time when I'm back in the United States. See you then.